Is anybody excited about Sunday night? Why are you excited? The Cowboys. What time, what time do the Cowboys play today? Well, they're playing sometimes. You can Google that and find that. I'll tell you why I'm excited, because it's about to get cooler. It's going to get... <laughs> I'm ready for some cool weather. Hey, listen, I don't know if you know this, but we have a, a missionary. Her name is Anisha Rashad, Rashid. <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, she and her five kids have been in Haiti working in the school, and that nation is in turmoil near civil war. And uh, uh, she's home. We flew her home this week. But she's here for a little while. If you see her, hug her neck. Take them out to lunch or something. Give them a couple bucks. Love on them because that's a, a great thing that they're doing. Well, this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to conclude the series, Supernatural. It has been a series for a number of weeks. You can go back and follow us online. But it's about the power and presence of God in everyday life. Now, I say that conversationally, but it's a profound statement. Last week, we talked about what the Bible says about how the Holy Spirit communicates to people in everyday life. Now, that may be a new concept to you. That, was very, that would have been very new to me in my early Christian life. I was not raised to believe that God was a communicating God. If anything, I thought it was weird. If anything, I would have thought it was mystical. But the Bible teaches very clearly that God wants to communicate with his children. And this is, that's what I talked about last week, about how God speaks to me. I won't re-preach it, but the Bible says a lot about God's desire to commune with us. But today I want to talk about not how God speaks to me, but about how God speaks through me with different spiritual gifts, and in particular the spiritual gifts of prophecy. You may not have been taught that the spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit are for today, but I want to encourage you. I can't find anything in the Bible that says the way that Jesus functioned, the early church function, stopped one day. Either, either when the Bible was canonized or when the apostles died, it's just not there. I want to live my life by the Bible. And I want to encourage you to do what I do is to seek God's spiritual gifts. And teenagers, I want you to listen to me today because let me know there's no little Holy Spirit. You don't have a baby Holy Spirit, and i got a big one. We all have the Holy Spirit, and you can, be, you can grow powerfully, and God can use you, not in a weird way, but in a normal and a healthy way to communicate His Word to people. Now, I, I want to go to Acts chapter 2. The context is the day of Pentecost. It's the day that the church was born. Uh, it was a supernatural event, to say the least. Christians were gathered in an upper room. The Holy Spirit came. They began worshiping and praying and speaking in a language they'd never learned. Now, our rational minds would tell us that's impossible. I mean, no, not with God. The same God who at the Tower of Babel made one language into many now caused caused people to speak in an unlearned language. And guess what? People around them heard them glorify God, and 3,000 people made steps to Christ. How many can say that's a cool thing? Yeah, God, do that again. Well, uh, I'm going to read what Peter said in response. Uh, Virtually as soon as that happened, Peter explained it this way. He said, in the last days. Now, I'm going to suggest to you very strongly that the Bible teaches we are in the latter part of the last days. Scholars disagree on exactly when the last days started, but clearly they will go until the consummation of the age, the end of time, and the end of the book of Revelation. But God says in the last days. Now, this is a statement where if you're a little bit skeptical of the idea of God speaking to me, I want to suggest to you this is a foundational verse because we are clearly in the last days. 
It didn't just say on this day of Pentecost. It said in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now listen, your sons and daughters will prophesy. prophesy. Your young men will see visions and old men dream dreams. Visions are like a picture God might give you. Uh, when I said uh, earlier that I was praying that I had a prophecy, I believe was from God, about people whose family members were estranged. And you remember I said I saw a picture of a closed door. I saw a picture of a door that was partially open. I would say that that's a picture or like a vision. Well, and, which I guess means I'm still a young man, so praise the Lord for that. But anyway, verse 18, on my servants, men and women, he's repeating himself, I'm going to pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So two times, once specifically to children, your sons and daughters, that's you guys, but two to men and women, we're going to do this thing called prophesy. So my question today is I'm, I'm going to talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy, but I'm going to answer questions like what does it mean to prophesy? Who can prophesy? How do we use this gift? How do we judge prophecy? And I think uh, for some it may be new. I just encourage you, listen to the Bible with me. See that it's there. But I hope that I can awaken something in your heart to desire to simply hear the Lord and help people because that's what it boils down to. When I have a prophecy, I've heard something from the Lord and I've shared it with another person to help them. Uh, Acts chapter 13, let me show you that a word of God can be life-changing and destiny-creating. Uh, it, it is... It is what, what can you say? When God speaks to a person and sets something in motion, the world can change. Acts chapter 13. Now, in my message today, I'm going to draw a distinction between the New Testament prophet, or there is an office of the prophet, and the gift of prophecy. Uh, there are certain people that are prophets, and I'll talk about that, but every one of us can desire this gift of prophecy. But I want to read about a prophet. Acts 13, verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, I was taught as a boy that in, in our church world today that there are teachers, pastors, and evangelists. But no prophets or apostles. I'll suggest the Bible says differently. Well, in Antioch, there were those that were recognized as prophets. A woman in the Bible would be called a prophetess. Anna is one example. Prophets and teachers. And while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, I wonder what his voice was like. I wonder if the Holy Spirit had a deep bass voice. Or if he shrieked and talked real high. He, neither one. He is speaking through a prophet. But I want you to think about that phrase just a second, how powerful it is. The Holy Spirit said. The Spirit of God that inhabits every believer at conversion lives inside us, and he speaks through people. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Barnabas will go off the scene, but yet Paul, or Saul, who we'll know as Paul, would go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, but be the main person responsible for bringing the gospel to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world set them apart, verse 3, after they had fasted and prayed. Now, I suggest to you the fasting and prayer was a part of what I'm going to call judging prophecy. How I many you know just because somebody said God told them something doesn't make it true? It's, it's just the way it is. You, the Bible will teach us, and I'll teach you how to do this, but we judge prophecy. 
And after they, uh, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This placing their hands, it was a spiritual impartation. It was a symbol of spiritual authority, but they launched them out. Now, this was a spirit-led planning meeting. You that work in an office, most likely you have staff meetings. Uh, somebody has an agenda. It's written out. That's a good thing to be a planner. But yet in this case, the Holy Spirit did something quite unexpected. And that spirit-led planning meeting gave birth to a worldwide ministry to the non-Jew, to the Gentile people. The Pew Research tells us today there are 2.3 billion, with a B, billion believers, uh, uh, Christians, in the world. 31% of the world's population, one in three people are Christians. How many know our goal is that three in three would be Christian? But one in three are Christian. And you know what? All of that started because of this prayer meeting when somebody felt the Holy Spirit was saying, loose this man in his ministry. They declared it to him. They prayed over him. They judged it. And, and listen, you and I are here as Gentile people largely because of that ministry today. So I share that with you because a prophecy. I had a prophecy of a young man in the youth group gave me a prophecy after our first service today. I read it. It resonated with me. I told him to email it to me. I want to meditate on it. Listen, all of us can hear the voice of the Lord. There is a gift of prophecy we can all desire, but yet the office of the prophet is different, and I'll explain it. Now, turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I ask the question, what is the biblical gift of prophecy? What does it mean? Now, I want to read a list to you of nine spiritual gifts. Again, I was taught at one time of my life that the spiritual gifts ceased when the apostles died. There's no biblical, uh, there are no scriptures that would suggest that that's definitively true. And this list, I would suggest, should operate in the life of the church today. Now listen to what he says. There's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So all, all Christians, this will teach us, have a spiritual gift, but the Holy Spirit is behind them. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, my gift is not just for me, but it's to help people. And then he lists them. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance or the word of wisdom. This, I'm going to just call it a supernatural problem-solving ability. It is wisdom. How many know there's smart people in the world, but how many know God is smarter than the smartest person? And this gift of wisdom shows us how to solve problems. Uh, another gift, it's called the utterance or the word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is a prophecy that reveals something hidden or something unknown. Someone might have a, a word of knowledge about your childhood. It could be, I, I've heard prophecies about a word of knowledge where someone was abused in their childhood. And in the prophecy, they talked about healing them from the wounds of the past, that God wanted to be a father because they didn't have a, the dad that they wanted. And this person just wept and cried, and it became a time of healing for them. So a word of knowledge uh, is revealing. Verse 9, another faith by the same Spirit. Now, I mean, all of us have faith, every Christian. By faith, you're saved through grace. But there is a, a uh, let's call a supercharged faith. I observed this one time. Uh, there was a friend of mine, a pastor in Wilton. He had a, a serious car accident, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, uh, when we went to see him, you went in, and the doctors told him he'd be, a, I guess, paraplegic. He wouldn't be able to walk. And every time someone would say that in the room, his wife would almost be a crazy woman. But she would say, 
I don't receive that. My husband is going to walk again. My husband is going to be normal, and he'll be a normal man again. And, of course, you want to help her. You think she's in denial, but guess what? That man is walking today. She had this gift of faith. It goes on. There's a gift of healing. This is certainly not discounting doctors. We're grateful for doctors, but this is healing that comes through prayer. Verse 10, another is the working of miracles. And here's the one we're studying. Uh, to another, the gift of prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish or discern between spirits. Is what I'm observing demonic or is it angelic? Is it the Lord at work? Uh, and then the last two is what's called uh, the ability to speak in tongues or an unlearned language. And to another, to interpret what that language means. So nine different gifts, but only one of them. God says that every one of us should desire. I'll read that in a moment. But this word prophecy by definition simply means this. It is to speak an inspired message from God. According to the Greek lexicon, it is to speak an inspired message from God. In other words, the Holy Spirit has nudged you. Now this is not on par with the Bible. This is not on par with Scripture. That's the ultimate authority. But it is hearing the Lord to share with someone. But in a cool way, the Bible defines itself what prophecy does. And I think you'll like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says, One who prophesies, say it with me, strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Can you say it again? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Now, how many can say most days of my life I need that? Uh, the rest of you are superwomen, I mean superwoman, superman. Everybody needs to be strengthened and encouraged. Well, the Bible says there's a way to do it, that there can be a word from God. It's often a scripture. I have many people that will write to me scriptures that the Lord, they said the Lord wanted me to share, and it brings life to me. Uh, prophecy is the one gift all believers are encouraged to desire. I want you to think about this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. What does it say? It says, Stop there. He doesn't say, well, if the Lord wants to give me a gift, he will. Kind of say, sarah, sarah. It's kind of passive. No, earnestly desire. It means that you and I are to kind of reach out. We're to kind of pull. Uh, how many know if you have kids that want to do something? Uh, how many let's say that kid, Daddy, you told me you'd give me a snow cone today. Oh, Daddy. And, 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 and okay, uh, uh, honey, I'll get you one later. Right now, Daddy's working. Two minutes later, Daddy, is it time for the snow cone? I really want one, Daddy. You promised me. Uh, five minutes later, Daddy, my tummy hurts. I'd feel so much better if I had a snow cone. <laughs> Go talk to your mother. But, but there's a desire in that child. And I'm not saying you're pestering God. But what I'm saying is you're saying, God, there's something that could be available to me. Listen, as a teenager, as an adult, all stages of my life, there's something more that God has for me. Uh, it's the one gift that we're told to desire. Now, I want to talk a moment about a prophet because prophets are a specific calling. You don't make yourself a prophet. Just because you print it on your business card doesn't make you one. But Jesus calls people to this office. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, Christ gave. Now, remember the gifts in 1 Corinthians uh, 14? The Holy Spirit gave. Now we can see these gifted ministries or people Jesus gives. He gives the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Now most churches have no problem with pastor, evangelist, and teacher, but somehow the prophet and apostle have gotten lost. 
He goes on to say these words, uh, and I'm sorry it's not on the screen, but he gave these gifts to equip us for works of service to build up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the maturity of Christ. How many can say we're not there yet? So we still need these gifts. Let me show you how a prophet operated in the New Testament. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, I want you to say his name with me, Agabus. We'll come back to him later. He, he, he's kind of the premier one in, mentioned in Acts. Agabus stands up in the church service and he foretold or predicted. Now, this is the difference. The gift of prophecy that I have, comfort, strengthen, I don't predict. But a prophet has, can see. In the Old Testament, he was called a seer. But they're able to project into the future. He predicted by the Spirit there'd be a great famine all over the world. And history records it. It took place in the days of Claudius. Now, you would think after that, the church clapped and he sat down and everything is great. No. The Bible says in verse 29, they determined that everyone according to their ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now, God just as easily could have sent rain or could have sent food to the believers there in Jerusalem, but he didn't. He used a prophet to tell people what was going to happen, and the church rallied to support it. It is a powerful, needed gift. This prophet can predict the future, but what's the spiritual gift of prophecy do? It encourages, it strengthens, uh, uh, and it comforts. Now, I, I, I want to read this verse for the third time because I want you to know that you can have this gift. You are encouraged by God to say, God, just like the snow cone, I want to be able to have this gift of prophecy. Eagerly desire, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, especially prophecy. As I read earlier in Acts 2, in the last days, God's going to pour out His Spirit. Men and women will prophesy, and your children will prophesy as well. And then the last example is in Acts 21. Philip the evangelist, and listen to me, kids, here's one for you. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Okay, now, here's the question. How do we prophesy then? In other words, if this is a spiritual gift, if I'm supposed to hear God and share those words with another person, how do I do it? Is that a fair question? I'm glad you asked. Well, the starting place, listen now, is again asking God. Asking God for the ability to do it. Because how many know if you don't ask, you're probably not going to have it? If you don't desire God, you're probably not going to have it. But let me give you one I bet you hadn't thought of. Ask the elders or a spiritual or person that prophesies to lay their hands on you and pray for you. You say, now man, that's a little strange. Where's that come from? I'm so glad you asked. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now listen to this. Don't neglect the gift. You have a gift. Where did it come from? Which was given you by when the council of elders. So think about that. Timothy had a spiritual gift. And he received it somehow in connection with the prophecy. When these elders laid their hands on him. That's pretty powerful. That's why I when my children were young, and when I was a young Christian, any time there would be a minister come, for example, like Pastor that was with us last week the, from the underground church, whenever we'd have guest ministers in our church, I would have them lay their hands on my kids. I would ask them to lay their hands on me, that there would be a spiritual impartation into their life. You see, one faith is giving and one faith is receiving. 
Uh, here's the third thing I would say is how you prophesy. Sometimes it just happens. What I mean by that, I'm sometimes walking down the aisleway in church and God speaks to me about a person. It's like you may be in the hallway at school and you may just have a burden for someone. Now the tricky thing is, number one, how to know it's God. We'll talk about that. But two is, how do you say it? Now here's the fourth thing, and I think it's probably the most important. I do this regularly. I ask the Lord to speak to me so I can strengthen and encourage other people. I was doing it last night before church. Now listen, I'd studied. I'd studied all week. I was ready to preach. I'd highlighted and marked up my notes. They were already on the internet. But I was on my knees saying, God, is there somebody here? Because here's what I know. You don't come to church because you don't have anything else to do. You're coming because you want to have an encounter with God. And sometimes that happens in worship. Oftentimes it happens through the anointed people that pray around the altar. They pray prophetically. But sometimes it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. And I guarantee you, when, when, uh, as I shared earlier in the service, that God wanted to restore families, I guarantee you antennas went up because people have brokenness all around them and they don't know what to do. I didn't make that up. I didn't go to profit.com. You have to judge it, but it's just possible that the Bible is true and those words would strengthen, encourage, and comfort, but also give direction about God cracking the door and then you being there to forgive, to be humble and show mercy. Listen, this is how it works. I asked the Lord to speak to me, but here's a big one. you got to step out in faith and say what you believe God's saying. Now, that's a big one. Because how many know sometimes it's hard to do that? And I tell you where it's really hard. It's really hard for a stranger. And can I make a suggestion? Well, let me read a scripture to you first, why I say you got to step out. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul told Timothy, I remind you to, remind you to fan the flame or stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, what Paul's saying is you can have a spiritual gift in you and it's gone dormant. You know, one thing I, I, I like about tonight, and it's not going to be cold enough for a fire, but it'll be sometime probably in October cold enough for a fire, and I love a fireplace. We've got one, my wife and I, normally my easy chair is in my, my lazy boy recliner is in my bedroom. I just kind of go, I kick back. But in the wintertime, I go out in the living room and, 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 and we light a fire. But here's something I know. You can have that fire rocking and rolling. Have me know, no heater, certainly an electric heater, can do what a fireplace does. But you get in front of that thing, and you're watching it, and after a while, you're sitting in your chair, and it's starting to go down. Here's what I know. If you don't put wood on that fire, if you don't take that poker, you know, I send Linnell over there, and she stirs it up. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But, but, but if you don't stir that flame, it's going to die down. Well, the Bible is saying the very same thing about this spiritual gift of prophecy. You've got to kind of bump yourself a little bit. And let me make a suggestion to you. If you have a, feel like you want to prophesy to somebody, don't do this. Steve, come here just a second. You don't put yourself up here and then below you and be like Moses and say, Yea, yea, the Spirit of the Lord would say unto thee. That's not what you do. <laughs> you talk to someone, particularly if you don't know someone, you might even say something like this. Sorry, I hope you don't think this is strange, but I'm a Christian and I pray. And I feel like the Lord has spoken to me, and, and I would like to share something with you and pray for you that I believe the Lord spoke to me. You kind of say it like that, because here's the deal, thank you. You don't know if always it's the Lord. That's why it's important to judge, but you've got to get yourself out there. 
And here's the last thing, the fifth thing about how you prophesy. And let me say the word practice. Can you say practice? Practice, practice prophesying over your dog or your cat. <laughs> okay, I'm just teasing on that. But, but how, many are following, well, how many are following professional baseball? Okay, a few of us. Well, guess what? One, there's going to be two teams in the World Series come up, and those pitchers are going to be pitching that ball 9,500 miles an hour, and they can put it wherever the catcher says. Well, those guys didn't just start one day and show up and start pitching like that. Guess what they had to do? They practiced for years of their life. And something I've observed is if you will practice spiritual gifts, and let me tell you a wonderful way you can do it is do it by praying for somebody. You know what? You don't have to say the Lord's telling me how many know when somebody prays for you, you can feel the Holy Spirit all over it? It can either just be a good prayer from their head, and that's not bad. But how many know it's better if the Holy Spirit's praying through me? Give the Lord a good hand today. Now, prophecy must be judged. And if you've turned me off, I want you to turn me back on because I think this will speak to you. This is, I think, the most pivotal part of the message Prophecy must be judged. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. These verses are pregnant with this subject. And notice what he says first. He says, don't hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. Another translation says, don't quench it. How many know if you're barbecuing and, and the flames are going up there, how many know what you need is a little spray bottle? But if you go in and if you get a pitcher of water out of the kitchen, and you pour it over the meat, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have sushi burgers. Because what you've done is quench the fire. And here's what a lot of believers do. We quench the Holy Spirit. We tell the Holy Spirit, we don't want you to burn in our life. We don't want you to speak. Or, we don't believe you speak, but you have quenched the Spirit. And the Bible says, don't do that. And then he adds, verse 20, don't treat prophecy as if it's unimportant. Or don't despise it or don't laugh at it. In other words, elevate the potential for prophecy to a high place. Now look at verse 21. Here's our verse. Test everything. Can you say test? It means to judge, to evaluate. And then he says these strange words. Keep what is good. Well, if we're supposed to keep what is good, what does that imply? Some of it may not be good. And here's where it's tricky. Sometimes if somebody, or you or anybody else, they may say something on God's behalf and it's not God. But many times it is. And what Paul is saying is it's worth the effort. I mean like watermelon, wave your hand at me real high. What is wrong with the rest of you? Let's say you go and there's, a, there's this farmer out there and you can tell it's a farmer and he says Hope Watermelons or Cass County Melons. And you put that watermelon, you get it at home, you know, and you put it in the refrigerator and you're so excited about eating at night after dinner, you go in and look at it every once in a while and you, you touch it and you get it out and you take that knife and you hear that cracking sound. How I many know that's one of the best sounds in the world? And that watermelon's open and you see the seeds and you say, Oh, it's no good, there's seeds, and you go throw it in the garbage can. That's not what you do. Listen, if you don't want seeds, go to Walmart and buy one of those tasteless, seedless watermelons. They've been engineered not to have seeds. But you get a real watermelon, it's going to have some seeds. You know what's the first thing you do? You get your spoon. How many eat watermelon with a spoon? Let me see your hand here. How many use a fork? Let me see your hand. All right. 
I, I think we're both on target there. The main thing is that you're using something other than your fingers. Let me use your fingers. Let me see. Okay. Whatever makes you happy. But what you do is you start picking out those seeds. And then when you get them picked out, you put your piece in, you know, you, you, you give your kids the end and you cut the heart out for yourself. You, you. Just teasing. Just teasing. But anyway, you put that piece of watermelon in your mouth and you're just chewing it along and all of a sudden you hit a seed. You don't go, you. That's what you do with prophecy. There's going to be some of it that seeds and you just have to accept it, but you don't throw the watermelon away. You spit out the seeds. Tell your neighbor that was pretty good. Now, let me talk a second about the need for judging prophecy. This is an amazing scripture. Acts 21 is the scripture. Paul, the end of the book of Acts, Paul is going to Jerusalem and then to Rome. God has already told him. He's already spoken to him. He knows he's going there, but he's at a church service. Now he's going around to churches saying goodbye. And here's our prophet friend again, a prophet named... There he is again. He did a strange thing. And sometimes people that prophesy, they're a little strange. But he took Paul's belt, tied up his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit said. And then he said, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. That's a prophecy, basically saying, Paul, when you get there, the Jews are going to arrest you. Now, here's where the judging comes in. Verse 12, when we heard this, we, Luke wrote the book of Acts, he's included here. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And here's the conflict. When they heard that prophecy, they interpreted it out of their own desire what they were supposed to do. And that is, we don't want Paul to die. We want Paul to be safe. So therefore, God's saying, don't go. They were wrong. Because God had already spoken to Paul that he's going to Jerusalem. Do you see the tension here? All the prophet said was, you're going to be bound, but their interpretation got him in trouble. Verse 13, Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. When we wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And sometimes that's where you've got to leave it. Now let me give you this, and then we're going to wrap up. How do we judge a prophecy? If somebody says, the Lord has a prophecy, or if you feel one, how do you know? And here's the problem. What would they do to a prophet in the Old Testament that made a mistake? <laughs> They'd stone him to death. Everybody say, I'm glad I'm in the New Testament. But the New Testament, Paul didn't tell us what to do. Let me give you, I think, which is some wisdom. And here's the first and most important thing. If anybody tells you God's saying something and it contradicts the Bible, throw it away. Walk away from it. Don't answer the email if somebody tells you something that disagrees with the Bible. But here's some, some practical wisdom. Ask yourself, does it agree with what God has been saying to me or what God's doing in my life? Because I think one of the greatest values of this gift of prophecy is that it confirms. Sometimes it may be something new, but most of the time it confirms what you have heard God say in a very similar way does it bear witness with your spirit? In other words, do you have peace about it? Has anyone ever told you something, and it was a Christian, and, or you listened to it on television or listened to a sermon, and you just thought, 
that's just not right. It's kind of a clang. Uh, years ago, Linnell and I, we had a friend, and uh, one of the pers- people in the marriage got a disease, and that disease kept them from sexual intimacy. And a marriage counselor told the other spouse that you're free to leave them because God wants you to be sexually happy. And we looked at each other and said, that's not the tone of the Bible. So it didn't bear witness with us. Here's a third one, and this is huge. Do people, mature Christians that you trust, agree? I would not do anything big in my life. In other words, I wouldn't build something big. I wouldn't sell something big. I wouldn't start a career. I wouldn't move. I wouldn't change churches. I wouldn't do the big things. I wouldn't get married unless those that cover me spiritually are in agreement. I think one of the stupidest things anybody can do is you're, I don't know, you're at a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit says, you're supposed to marry him. And you don't even like him. But you think because God told me to, I've got to be a faithful. No, come on now. You talk to spiritually mature people because here's the problem. When people start trying to prophesy and share the Lord, you're going to make mistakes. It is just messy. But don't forget, eat the watermelon and spit out the seeds. So talk to people that you're spiritual covering. And here's the last one. If you're not sure, I say this. Put it on the shelf, pray about it, and wait and see. And I'll illustrate that. I had this happen to me a couple weeks ago. We were at a Church on the Rock conference in Dallas and with a number of churches. And the last morning, we were praying for one another and ministering and prophesying over one another. And I shared with the group about our relocation, and I shared about selling, asked them to pray for the sale of our building. And uh, someone came up to me and said, uh, I didn't know him from Adam, but he said, I just feel like the Lord may not want you to sell that building, but he may not have another use for it. Well, now that doesn't fit in the budget. (laughs) But on the other hand, it could be the Lord. So here's what we did. We didn't take down the for sale sign. We didn't cancel the listing, but I pray about it. And I said yesterday, Lord, if you want to do something with this building other than us to sell it, then you show it who it is. But number two, you got to provide a big stack of money because we need this money to do the other church. Are you with me today? You put it on the shelf, you look at it and pray about it. Punch your neighbor and say, that was all pretty good stuff. Let me wrap up with this. And, and I want to conclude the way I started with the potential power that's released when somebody hears a word from God and shares it with the people. Here's the story, and we'll close with this as the worship team comes. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Israel, under King Jehoshaphat, they're blessed by God. They're living right, they're doing right. But all of a sudden, their neighbors, their enemies, get mad at them, and they want to come and kill them. And the odds are horrific. It's like 10 to 1. I mean, it's huge. The Bible says it's so many people coming after them, they're like the sands on the seashore. You can't count them. Well, how many know you can't win a battle like that? And they did the very thing you and I should do is they all got together, they started fasting, praying, and seeking the Lord. Well, in the middle of seeking the Lord, notice what it says in verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came upon somebody. The Spirit of the Lord came upon a man standing there. His name was Jehaziel. In verse 15, he said, Listen, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Now, mind you, now you got people out there, and what they're going to do, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to kill everybody, or they're going to kill the men, and they're going to take your wife and your kids and all your stuff. But they're going to destroy you. 
The Lord says, don't be afraid. That's a good starting place. That's a whole lot better than if the Lord says, pack your bags and get ready to go to captivity. Because he did sometimes when they were judged uh, earlier, but not this time. He said, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The battle's not yours, but God's. And now there's something to do. There's action, as there usually is. Tomorrow, march out against them. Well, you not even need to fight. And they're probably looking at one another saying, what? No bows and arrows, no swords, no shields, no what? You're not going to need to fight. You stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. And then they got to do it again. Go out against them tomorrow because the Lord is with you. You got a big decision at that point. You're either going to, to the best of your ability, talk about it, pray about it, judge it, or ignore it. But if you judge it to be true, you act on it. And they did, verse 20, early the next morning they went out. How many know it would have been easy to, to hit the snooze alarm an hour at a time to say, send somebody out and see if they're still out there? And it's now 10 o'clock and they're still out there. Well, wonder if it's God or not. No, they believed God and they acted. Early the next morning, they go out, and on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped. He said, told the people, believe in the Lord your God, and you'll stand firm. But then what else did he say? Believe in his prophets. At some point, I've got to believe the prophecy. At some point, I've got to act on it, and you'll succeed. And, and the king did the strangest thing, but it was an act of faith. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him. Now, why did he do that? Because the prophecy said, you're not going to need to fight. Not even having a pocket knife with the singers. So that's what they did. And this is what they said, give thanks to the Lord. He's faithful, love endures forever. Now think about it. You've got this army of people, so many that can't even be counted. And now you've got these Israelites marching down there singing. And notice what it said. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise the Lord calls. Everybody say, the Lord calls. The Lord, it's, it's like their obedience to the prophecy released the Spirit, and the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. And when the army of Judah arrived, all they saw was dead bodies laying on the ground. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. You say, how could that happen? I don't know, but I'm going to give you a little illustration. You've got two hairy dudes walking out to battle. You got this ugly Ammonite and you got this ugly Moabite, and they're walking out. They both probably stink a little bit. And the Moabite's kind of walking, you know, in his leather outfit there, and he drops his billfold on the ground, and it opens up to a picture of his wife. Now, I know they didn't have cameras then. Just go along with the story, okay? What do you want me to say? His iPhone fell on the ground? Okay, anyway, he drops his billfold on the ground and opens a picture of his wife, and this Ammonite says, Man, that's a good-looking woman. And the Moabite says, That's my wife. Quit looking at her. And he said, Man, you're too ugly to have a pretty woman like that. And he said, What'd you say? And he pulls his dagger out and he sticks it. And he falls to the ground. And all of a sudden, his cousin over here and said, says, What'd you do to my cousin? That's cousin Elroy over there. What did you do to him? And he sticks him. And before you know it, that, well, now listen, you, somehow it happened. I don't know how it happened, but somehow 
when Israel got there, every one of them had died. And if they'd have just stayed home, nothing would have happened. But because they believed the prophetic word, God delivered them. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Stand to your feet with me. And I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to ask you this question. I want you to look at me eyeball to eyeball just a second. What are you going to do with what you heard today? And if nothing else, remember that scripture three times. The Lord tells us, told us to desire spiritual gifts earnestly, especially the gift of prophecy. Could we just pray just a second? Well, Lord, today I want to stand before you with my friends and simply say this. We believe your word. Whether it's new or familiar to us, we've read the Bible together. And I think I bear witness, Lord, with my friends today saying, Lord, we want to ask you to speak to us. We want to ask you to give us this ability to hear what God's saying. To be able to have the courage to speak it to other people and the wisdom to say it in the right way. We want to ask you to give us the, the wisdom to know how to judge prophecy and not be deceived or manipulated. But we want to be able to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit because our world desperately needs it today. And there's people all around us who need to be encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. And can we all say this? Lord, use me. In Jesus' name. Hey, here's how we're going to close. I'm thrilled you came today. Next week, I'm going to deal, for actually for two weeks, I'm going to deal with the biggest question in the Bible that has the potential to destroy a person's faith, and it's the question, why? Why did something bad happen to a good person? We'll talk about that next week. But right now, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forwards in just a moment. They'll be here to pray with you about anything that you might want prayer for. I would really encourage you, that whole idea of the laying on of hands, seeking God for a gift, I, that would be a great time to let somebody pray for you. But one big thing that we want to pray for as we close today is maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my greatest need is just to get right with God. Maybe you're here today and you're honest enough to say that you've not found purpose in life apart from God. Maybe you tried to find it partying, maybe you tried to find it making money, but how many know even a new truck gets old? And if your identity's tied up in your things, you're not going to be happy. I want to tell you, friends, there's only one way to be ultimately happy in life, and that's through a personal relationship with God. And that relationship with God has a starting place. It's when a person prays, asks God to forgive them, to come in their life and save them, and then they commit themselves to follow Christ. And that's what this cross is about. That cross reminds us that Jesus died on a cross that looked similar to that, and he died for one reason, because of your sins and mine keep us separated from God. And one day our sins will be judged on Judgment Day. But it reminds us that Jesus not only died, he forgave us. He offers forgiveness. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he gave us the promise of eternal life. Can I tell you, friends, the gift of God. But you've got to reach out and take it. And the way you reach out and take it is in the place of prayer. And if you're here today and you'd like to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, or maybe you knew the Lord and you got away from Him and you want to come back to Christ, I want to encourage you to answer this call. When they begin to sing in just a moment, as people are coming here to pray for general needs, you slip out of your chair and come to the cross. I promise you we won't embarrass you, but there's something powerful that happens when people make the step away from their own life.
make a step for Jesus, it'll be one you never regret. Go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Zach. As he's playing, our prayer team is coming. They're here for anything. Most importantly, if you need to get right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming today.